Hello everyone and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 48th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend Adam Goffin. Adam, how are we today? Footy, Zach. Squeaky bum time again, footy. So to our listeners who might not be familiar with the, the pub talk vernacular of uh, the UK, what, what, what did that cryptic message mean? Squeaky bum time is the time at the end of the game or the end of the season when you're on the kind of edge of your seat, perched on the edge of your seat, and you're kind of squeaking back and forth because you're so nervous about what's transpiring in front of you. And that's squeaky bum time for our American listeners. It is. And squeaky bum time today for the fans of championship sides. Today was the final day of the championship season. So all those games wrapping up uh, all played at once, all 13 of them, or excuse me, 12 of them. Um, and the uh, the final matches uh, of week 36 for the Premier League taking place today. And so we'll, we'll be going into all of that and more. We have a pretty packed show for you today. We'll be running uh, on what's left to play for in the Premier League, talking a little bit, of course, about Newcastle United, a team that seemingly has nothing to play for, uh, and then diving right into the championship. So I know some people might not be as adept uh, in their knowledge of the championship, but very important to look at that second division of English football, especially as two teams have guaranteed their place in the Premier League next season. So we'll kind of preview those two teams, Leeds and West Brom, talk about what is there to expect, and then, of course, wrap it up with 10 and 90. Looking forward to it, Zach. It's going to be a good one today. It will indeed. Um, yeah, so to start it off, we'll start with the English Premier League. So question being, what is there still to play for? Adam, why don't you give us a bit of a, a 20,000 feet in the air overview? What, what are we looking at uh, for the final day? Well, Liverpool are still good, Zach, so we'll we'll just scratch them off there. They're champions, 96 points. Can't reach 100. Maybe not the best Premier League team of all time. But no, they're not. I, I, I digress. Um, Manchester City, safe in second. So really the main interest, I would say, here towards the top of the league is the race for the top four. Uh, we have Manchester United in third place with one game to play for all of these teams on 63 points. Uh, with a plus 28 goal difference. Chelsea, same number of points, plus 13, so 15 back on them. And then Leicester going into the final game on 62 points uh, with a plus 28 goal difference. So a better goal difference than Chelsea, but a point behind them. And then also we have the kind of race right around there as well for the Europa League. Wolves on 59 points in sixth place, and Tottenham in seventh place on 58 points. So won't really be able to catch the top four there, but Wolves and Spurs with a vested interest in trying to finish as high up the league as they can to secure European football next year. Beautiful. And so as is always the case when we come down to the final day, there are a number of what I would describe as permutations of how uh, certain things can fall at the end of the final day. So for the Premier League, that that final day will be this Sunday, the Sunday morning uh, for, for Adam out in Colorado, Sunday afternoon for me here on the East Coast, and Sunday evening for folks listening in Newcastle and across the UK. Um, and uh, we'll start with the Champions League there. So as Adam mentioned, three teams, Man U, Chelsea, and Leicester, separated by a single point. Uh, big first thing that I want to bring up here is Chelsea's 
pretty poor goal differential. Um, you know, Chelsea had a match against Liverpool today, an absolute thriller if you had a chance to watch it. If not, watch the highlights. It was a 5-3 victory for Liverpool, so an absolute goal fest. Um, and again, it, it dipped down Chelsea's goal differential to that 13 mark now. So a, a defense that has certainly been vulnerable. And it'll be interesting seeing them against Wolves on the weekend. Wolves, a team that um, definitely likes to bomb forward. But starting with Man U in, thir in third place right now. So they are tied with Chelsea on points, better on goal differential. And really their situation, it, it, it is a bit tricky. Uh, Man U makes the Champions League with any result in their weekend fixture against Leicester. Um, or uh, if Man U does lose, they will still make the Champions League with a Chelsea loss. So again, any result gets Man U there across the line. Uh, if they lose, they'll need Chelsea to lose. For Chelsea, uh, a bit more simple. Chelsea needs any sort of result against Wolves. Uh, if Chelsea gets a draw or a win against Wolves, they will be in the Champions League. Uh, and then finally for Leicester, they need a win against Manchester United, or if they draw, they need Chelsea to lose. So really, uh, all three of those teams have a, a, a few different situations that they're relying on other clubs, but essentially for, for all three of them, it's win and you're in uh, for the Champions League for next season. Yeah, I think part of the thing that I'm most excited about here with that set of fixtures that we have really to secure the Champions League places is that we've got third playing fourth, um, sorry, third playing fifth and fourth playing sixth. So really, really exciting to see those those teams in what you call kind of the quote-unquote playoff places if we were talking about the championship with everything to play for going into the final game. We were hoping there would be something on the line. Really, really excited to see that there is and, and a very, very big prize on the line in terms of Champions League qualification and the money that that will bring it in a COVID world. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'll ask you this, Adam, something I'm really interested in, kind of one of those subplots is, as I just mentioned, you know, Leicester, it, it, the, a, a win solidifies their place in the Champions League, but um, with a draw, they, they are relying on a Chelsea loss. So Leicester, a team that has found kind of uneven form since coming back from the restart, but nonetheless still has one of the best defenses in the Premier League. How do you think Brendan Rodgers approaches this game uh, against Manchester United, a team that does seem, despite a 1-1 draw today against West Ham, does seem to be scoring for fun and has really elevated their attack in recent weeks? Yeah, it's a good question. I think if I was Brendan Rodgers going into this game, I would tell the team to go all out to win it. Um, you, you can't rely on the result of the Chelsea game um, in terms of getting, getting you qualification into the Champions League. And, you know, they're not playing fantastic right now. Leicester have four points from 12. They're not in the best form. But on their day, that team is capable of beating anybody. And they have Jamie Vardy in that team, and he's capable of scoring against anybody. So, I think what they should do is set their stall out to attack in that game. Um, they have a good defense. They don't concede a lot of goals to, to that point that we've made. They actually only conceded 39 goals on the season. So I really, really hope that um, we're going to see a very offensive game with Leicester really going at Manchester United from, from the get-go. Do you think that, uh, on the other side of that, do you think that Manchester United plays an attacking-style football? Because, uh, you know, Manchester United... As I've mentioned, uh, that 1-1 draw today aside, they've been looking really brilliant in attack, led largely by Anthony Martial, Bruno Fernandes. Um, Mason Greenwood has made his emergence, and, and even Marcus Rashford can't be lost in that conversation. But that being said, Manchester United's defense, again, one of the best in the, in the league, only 36 goals allowed in 
the 37 games they're played. So with a, a draw or a win guaranteeing Champions League for Manchester United, how do you think Ole is going to set up his team to play in this match? I think Manchester United have a different proposition here. To your point, they need to avoid defeat. So if I were Manchester United, where Manchester United are best are when they're attacking with pace. And I think if you're going to set your stall up away from home, at Leicester, hard place to go to defend and try and keep it tight at the back. With that front three that they have with Rashford, with Greenwood and with Martial and with Fernandez sitting in behind, I think you know, you've know you really, really got to um, sit back as a Manchester United team and then try and catch them on the counter. With the pace you've got there, I think that you've got a great chance of nicking a goal or, or more than a, one goal and, and really getting Manchester United ahead in that game early and hanging on to a lead for it. So an interesting thing that you touched on there uh, is what I would describe as I, I think that there is one there's one advantage that uh, or there's one group of teams that the COVID uh, or, or the, rather the the lack of fans as a consequence of COVID is giving in this final week and that's teams playing away from home because uh, although you're right Manchester United is going to Leicester essentially home home and away advantages and disadvantages are, are completely gone right now there's not the you know the typically raucous crowd in uh, or rocking crowd in king power stadium that will be uh, you know making it a bit harder for manchester united so i think that if you're an away team on the final day needing any sort of result you're you're pretty relieved that nobody's going to be in that stadium yeah i think you you and i have talked about this before and i think we have slightly differing opinions on it i i cannot argue the fact that not having fans um, makes it less of an intimidating environment for Manchester United going to Leicester. What I will say, though, is everybody is more familiar with their home stadium, their home pitch, the way the ball bounces, all of those things when they're playing at home. So there is definitely still an advantage to playing on your own pitch, but maybe not necessarily in your own stadium is the argument that I'd make there. All right, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'll, I'll, I'll let you have that one, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it, it will be an interesting fixture, as will Chelsea uh, facing up against Wolves. So to go on there to the Europa League spots, it's it's Wolves and Tottenham right now, the two competing uh, for for that guaranteed spot in the Europa League. And, and to kind of take a step back, the Europa League is an interesting situation right now because the, the situation goes as such. Fifth and sixth will guarantee a Europa League spot. And seventh will only get a Europa League spot if the winner of the FA Cup, which is Chelsea against Arsenal being played in early August, if the winner of the FA Cup gets automatic Champions League through league qualification. So a lot of variables there. Essentially what that means is if you're, you're going to have to be playing for fifth and sixth because the match that Chelsea is playing against Arsenal and the FA Cup isn't for another couple of weeks. Um, however, it, a situation could arise in which we see three teams going into the Europa League if Chelsea qualifies for the Champions League in the top four and then wins the FA Cup. So uh, an interesting thing to see, but you're, you're probably going to see a similar attacking style mindset uh, out of Wolves uh, this weekend as well. I think that's just how Wolves plays, to be honest. You're, you're right. I think that they're probably going to try and take it to Chelsea because they have to. In fact, in some ways, I'm actually more excited for that Chelsea-Wolves game than I am for the Leicester-Manchester United game. Um, just because of the um, really the, the different things that are on offer there, right? Wolves are trying to get back into the Europa League. They're still in it. They're still in the competition. and they, 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 they Interestingly enough, they, they still could. Yeah, they, 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 Wolves could 
theoretically, to put it in another just kind of wind in the tail, Wolves could finish in Europa League qualification and then make the Champions League by winning the Europa League this year. So, so could a, United. United yeah, could exactly. finish in fifth and, and do the same thing, right? So mm-hmm. just um, lots of kind of nuances that we, we're, we're not going to know the extent of European qualification by the end of the day on Sunday. They're, we're going to have to get through European competitions. It's looking more and more likely that um, I would say Chelsea are probably going to be done for in the Champions League with, with Bayern Munich to play. But City have a good chance, having won their first leg against Real Madrid. And then both Wolves and Manchester United, I think, have a really solid chance in the Europa League as well. So could be the potential for that those those European spots could stretch down to like 8th or ninth even. Mm, yeah, that would be that would be fascinating. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how it all does play out, especially because all of the European games with the Europa League and the Champions League, there are twelve remaining uh, matches or twelve matches that'll be happening in about fifteen days in mid-August uh, to finish up those tournaments. So it will be really exciting, and then and then the league will begin in just five weeks after that. So it's all very crammed into the the beginning of fall. It's going to be interesting. One one stat I was trying to pull and I couldn't get the answer for it. This is kind of crazy to think about. When was the last time neither Spurs nor Arsenal in the same season, neither one of those teams qualified for Europe? That could happen this year. Yeah, that certainly could. Um, Tottenham, then uh, moving on to them, they are playing their final game uh, against Palace and and they need a, a few different things to happen in order for them to to be able to solidify one of those automatic qualification spots. They either need to win and have Wolves have a, a worse result, so a draw or a loss. Or if Spurs draw and Wolves lose, they will also bump up in the table and, and go into six. So um, yeah, just like pretty much every other team that we've spoken about in the last few minutes, um, the, Tottenham essentially has everything to play for on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then Harry Kane is just in magic form right now. Four goals in two games. Did you see uh, <laughs> a couple days ago he did the um, kind of birth announcement for his child? Did you see that? I did. Yeah, that that was. I'm, I'm not a huge birth announcement guy, a gender reveal, but that was that was class. Yep, it was beautiful. So for those that didn't see it, Harry Kane is married, has two two beautiful little girls. Um, his wife's pregnant with child number three, and he basically put the. Um, the football down on the penalty spot and in the middle of the goal kind of hanging there right underneath the crossbar was this kind of like oversized football if you will um and then basically when he when he kicked it and hit the kind of one hanging there from the crossbar it would explode and either explode with blue color or explode with pink color and congratulations harry kane he's having his his first boy so really really cool to see that yeah, a good usage of pinata and and soccer, the the crossover event of the summer that we've all been waiting for. So <laughs> that was got, love, we got to watch something. Nothing's in production right now except for your mom show. That's true. That is true. Yeah, shout out to my mom who uh, filmed an episode of TLC's hit show Breaking Amish that will be coming out in November. So big Listeners, this shit. is not this is not a joke. I thought he was messing with me at first, but apparently he is deadly serious. No, it, it is exciting. Yeah. So big shout out to Eve Pensack who who will be on television. I'm in the process of getting her an IMDB page made, but it, it yeah. seems like it, it's a bit of a Fam- lengthy process. Uh, famous Pensacks now. Exactly, exactly. At least <laughs> one of us. Um so, so again, yeah, a lot of information there, but a, a lot to play for uh, on the final day for teams three through seven uh, in the top half of the, the Premier League table. But at the bottom half, more so the, the very bottom of the Premier League table, still a bit to play for there. So um, 
you you want to give us an even higher level overview there, Adam? What what does the bottom of the the Premier League table look like right now? Yeah, sure. So um, confirmed today with a one one draw at Manchester United, West Ham are safe. I thought that was actually quite poetic that Moisey went back to Old Trafford and secured West Ham safety at Old Trafford. Thought that was kind of a nice a nice little subplot there. Um, but as far as the bottom four right now, one team only is secured in their relegation. That is Norwich City. And then we have Bournemouth on 31 points in 19th position with a negative 27 goal difference. Watford in 18th in the last relegation spot with 34 points with the same goal difference of negative 27. Aston Villa, one place above them in 17th, also on 34 points, just out of the relegation zone on negative 26, thanks to their incredible 1-0 victory against Arsenal earlier this week. Yeah, Villa finding a bit of a vein of form as of late and getting that, you know, they, we've harped on this quite a bit of teams that you, you can tell are up for it, are up for that battle. And I, I think mm-hmm. that Aston Villa is one of those teams. I think that Bournemouth is not one of those teams. Uh, and although if we're talking about predictions on the final day, although Bournemouth, you know, does have a chance and they are playing Everton, who I would describe as the most inconsistent team in the Premier League. I have ragged on Everton quite a bit because I cannot imagine how horrible it would be to be an Everton fan when your team spends $200 million and you're you're striving to get 10th in the table this year. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't see I have Bournemouth surviving, Adam. I, I see, you know, it being the, the, the run of form that they've had or lack thereof has been has been just putrid. Yeah, it's been disappointing. I think our listeners all know that I'm a closet Bournemouth fan. So um, I think what's what's been really tough for them is the Spurs game, goalless, going into injury time and disallowed goal for a handball in the build-up to that goal game. They could have won that one. And then in the last game, they're 1-0 down against Southampton, and then they have a goal disallowed in injury time for offside and then end up losing 2-0 on a last-minute goal against Southampton. So they've they've been really close, Zach. They've had, you know, they potentially could have taken four points from six, and they ended up with one single point, you know. And if that were the case, it would be a completely different story. So, And that, and that last-minute goal against Southampton is basically, could come back to haunt them if they get a result against Everton, too. Yeah, it's... Uh... It is interesting because not only do you have these teams tight on points, but the the fact that Villa, Watford, and Bournemouth uh, are twenty my, under minus twenty six, minus twenty seven, minus twenty seven in goal differential is is really fascinating. And up up one spot in, the, in that table to, to Watford, uh, the you know the um, it was it was a pretty significant loss for them against Manchester City on Tuesday, a four nil loss. Um, I mean, Manchester City is scoring four or five goals against everybody right now, so you're not really going to criticize Watford at the moment. Um, they did release Nigel Pearson last weekend, so that was what, was that a shock to you, Adam? It was a complete shock to me, and it was for not anything to do with his management of the team. Um, I don't think it was anything to do with that. I think it was purely down to a disagreement with the um, with the owner, um, Potsy. Um, and basically, after that happened, when he had that kind of verbal disagreement with him face to face, I think that was kind of the writing on the wall there for for Pearson's tenure. And you look back at Nigel Pearson; he's always been a much lauded manager in terms of the success that he's had and how well he's done at clubs. But he's also had this kind of dark cloud following him a little bit in terms of his short temper, in terms of how quick to 
open his mouth he is and potentially ruffle some feathers. And I think that that's ultimately what's cost him his position, um, fairly or not. Mm, it, it is interesting. I mean, we, uh, I, I saw somebody saying on Twitter that uh, Watford has gone through as many managers as Joe Linton has scored goals for Newcastle this year. So that is <laughs> that is a statistic for you. Watford now on, on their fourth manager of the season. At some point, you've just got to think that it's just terrible ownership and decision making at an executive level right when you when you think about the fact they've gone through not just they've gone through four managers this year but also that they rehired somebody that they let go the previous year and then let him go again it just it just smacks of desperation for me in a club that's really in a bit of a downward spiral and not knowing what they're doing so um i wouldn't be sad if watford went down um i think that they turned things around i think there are some good players then that we might be able to to poach from Watford as well, Ishmael Asar is somebody that I'm pretty excited about, told listeners before. But I, I, I just think that they're a team on a bit of a downward spiral and the time's probably right for them to go back down to the championship and play a derby against Luton next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think Sar, I think Decora is another player who would be of interest mm-hmm. to Premier League sides yep. um, next season. Uh, and even, like, it's, it's tough to say this with them having a lot... 61 goals this year but I mean I wonder how many goals Watford would have allowed if not for the form of Ben Foster because I think that Ben Foster has been one of the best keepers in at least the second half at the bottom half of the Premier League um, this season has has certainly kept them in games and even in that game against Manchester City it could have been could have been a much much worse result for them and that's important because now you have them on this goal differential that's equal to Bournemouth just below Villa so it is damage control. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. But more so than the Man City game, I think the one that really, really damaged them was the loss against West Ham. Not just the fact that they went into that game and it was very much a win-in-your-in scenario, um, but the fact that they capitulated so easily. They were three down within, I think it was, certainly in the first half, I think it was like in the first 30 minutes, they were three down. So just to see them fall apart like that, and I think part of the stories around why Pearson left are that he just roasted the dressing room at halftime and I think did so in a way that necessarily didn't lift them up, maybe just kind of overly criticized them. And I think that's part of the reason that they had such a huge disagreement, him and the owner at the end of the game too. Mm. Nigel Pearson falling for the, uh, the, uh, the case of the old white English manager who is essentially only there to keep a team up from relegation of which there are so many. Let me ask you this, Eck. Next season, when the takeover doesn't go through at Newcastle, would you rather have Steve Bruce or Nigel Pearson? Nigel Pearson. Because Nigel yep. Pearson, I think, has some sort of tactical awareness, and Steve Bruce has absolutely none of that. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. I, I have a little mini Steve Bruce rant for this episode. But <laughs> anyway, anyway, Adam, so to round that out then, uh, it's Watford going against Arsenal on the final day. Uh, Arsenal having just fallen victim to Aston Villa's sword. So Villa... Right now, uh, the team just outside of the drop zone for them. It's any uh, result keeps them. Uh, it's any result on uh, this weekend will keep them in the Premier League. Uh, so um, yeah, Aston Villa. You know, credit to them. They've they've put their their fate in their own hands. Yep, absolutely. I think they've done really really well to to claw it back. And you know, um, a team that I think a lot of people thought were dead and dead and buried, and my, myself included, a while back. And you just got the feeling, to your point, that there were certain teams coming out of the COVID break that were really kind of, they knew that 
if they put together some results that it would be in their hands. You think about Southampton, how impressive Southampton have been since the COVID break. I think Villa have had their blips, but for the most part, Villa have been pretty consistent. Nobody's rolled over Aston Villa for the most part. Yeah, and part of that, you know, part of that, uh, that you know, revival has been largely a, a number of a few players. You, you always will talk about Jack Grealish as their their talisman, the, the man who they, they kind of put all of their their emphasis on. Um, but I, I think Trezeguet is somebody who has been playing really well as of late. Uh, the goal against Arsenal, a beautiful, beautiful yes. finish off that nice corner finish. kick. Ball coming out and him just making perfect contact, uh, flying past Martinez for the goal. Uh, it's three goals in three games for for Trezeguet. So um, I think that Villa, you know, not only has that momentum on their back, but looking at the final day, uh, they they play West Ham, who is uh, the lowest team in the table of the the three opponents that we have just mentioned. So mm-hmm. I think that uh, I, they're in good I form. It, I, they're in good yeah. form. They are in great form. Well, I, I think West Ham is an interesting one because I think West Ham has realized that they, you know, on a player-by-player basis are not a bad team. They have a horrible defense, and that's been their issue. But from, from the midfield forward, I, I think that West Ham, there's a lot there's a lot to be positive about with West Ham if they can if they can reform that defense going into next season and also if they can keep Declan Rice. Credit to, credit to Moisey as well. Um to come in there and to do what he's done. You know, he was brought in for one goal and one goal only, and that was to keep the team in the Premier League. And now he gets a chance to build and potentially call it his own next season, right? But the last last point on Villa, some, something pretty humorous that, uh, <laughs> that, that that happened. I was chatting to my cousin in Ireland. He's a he's a Villa fan uh, about the game. I said, great, great win against Arsenal. Um, he said, yeah, could you believe they didn't have any shots on target in that game? Um, I said, he said to me about Arsenal, zero shots on target. And he said, yeah, the best thing about that is shots on target are our kryptonite. Anytime one happens, it usually turns into a goal. <laughs> so kryptonite is shots on target against Aston Villa. You heard it here first, West Ham. Ooh, yeah, Mo- Moisey, get, getting that knowledge in the dressing room. <laughs> we'll just say, hey, t- like, Mark, take take lob shots from midfield. And That's Declan right. can take rips from wherever he wants. Ooh, Antonio right now can't stop scoring. He's going to score like five or six maybe. I was gonna say, yeah. I mean, there there has to be there has to be some sort of there has, has to be some sort of post lockdown award ceremony that goes on. So you know, you have the Premier League Player of the Year, you have the Golden Boot, whatnot. But there there should be those like for the eight games since the restart award ceremony because Mikel Antonio eight goals. It's just I mean, four of them were against Norwich, which Norwich are you know, the worst. Still got to score him, right? Still got to score him. Still got to score him. Yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, you know, a, 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 if if he stays there and kind of keeps, you know, even a even a, a somewhat reduced version of that format next season, yeah, again, I, I think that West Ham could be a better club than than people might expect. Yeah, and and to thinking back to you know the beginning of the season, Sebastian Aller came in, and a lot of people were raving about him. He's coming off the bench right now. Antonio is firmly starting for for West Ham right now, and Hilaire is lucky if he's seeing fifteen to twenty minutes at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so an interesting question that I asked uh, a friend of mine who is a West Ham fan is, you know, Declan Rice is the player who's getting the most attention on their team and uh, a player who has been most heavily linked with Chelsea. So Rice came up through the Chelsea Academy before moving to West Ham for his final year or so of, of youth play. Um, and it, it's an interesting discussion because he obviously, a, a young player, has a ton of talent, a ton of upside, a, a very high ceiling um, but I was making the case to my friend that with the, you know, the, the defense being this clear, clear issue for West Ham, 
I, I think an argument could be made for potentially if you're West Ham selling selling Rice if you can get you know a quite hefty sum which I expect you could do and if you're able to strategically scout out a defense I think it could be an interesting opportunity for them especially if they're able to sign Suchek who's been really great on on loan from Slavic Prague to a permanent deal kind of fits in there at center defensive mid so I don't know I'll say that what, what is your take on that do you want to keep your young starlet or do you think you try to cash in and and reform the team it's tough because I'm notably not a Declan Rice fan I think that Declan Rice will be the next Eric Dyer, overhyped, overrated, probably play a couple games for England and then kind of fade into obscurity. Eric, Di- Eric Dyer, who just scored, er, who just signed a four-year extension with Spurs. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you can have all the faith in the world you want in him. I think he's an overrated player. No, I, agree. I think I just I think it's funny that he just signed an extension because yeah, he's a I mean, wild, I mean, he's a wildly overrated player. <laughs> yeah, there there are plenty of players who have signed new contracts who are probably not deserving of them let's let's not talk about arsenal defenders right now anyway back to declan rice i think that if i were chelsea you probably have enough talent in the middle of the park that you don't need declan rice but the, but the uh, question the question is not if chelsea need him because chelsea want him the question is do west ham cash in or do they keep do they this player to? who that do they keep the player who is the clear heir to the captaincy that mark noble will be giving up in the next couple of years and i think that's a good point i i, I a i don't think they need the money I think that they have plenty of it. They've spent pretty heavily in previous transfer windows. B, I think that West Ham, if they're no, they're nothing if not an aging team, right? They have mm-hmm. a lot of players that I think are in the twilights of their careers. Mark Noble is a great example, the one that you've just mentioned, of somebody who's definitely coming to the end of his his football career. So I think if you're looking to build a team around a player, even though I think he's overrated, Declan Rice is probably a great place to start. And I think they need to continue. West Ham several years ago used to be known for having one of the best academies in football like they produce such amazing players rio ferdinand joe cole you think of the great players that came through the west ham academy name me a player other than declan rice that's really come through that academy in recent seasons i i, I can't think of um, of many players i'm not did cresswell come up through the academy i mean not, certainly not a world beater but you know yeah. a consistent starter for west ham frank lampard came up through the west ham academy that's didn't right. he? Yeah, he sure did. Yeah, before he signed for Chelsea. Um, So, I mean, just I think that they need to do a little bit more work on the youth there. I think your point, your most valid point is that they they need to keep a young core of that team because they're not in rebuilding mode. I think that's unfair to say. I think they just need to start bringing some fresher youth into that team and kind of because they're going to see the older players start to retire here in the next couple of seasons. Yeah, it will be an interesting uh, summer transfer window for West Ham because, I, again, I, I do think the ceiling is pretty high for them in terms of the young talent that they have. Antonio Allaire, I think, can come good. I, I, I think that there there is a, a number of exciting players on that team. But, um, okay, Adam, before we move on from the Premier League, uh, final day relegation predictions, who's going to go down? Just based on, the, based on how far adrift Bournemouth are and the fact that Watford have such a tough game against Arsenal. Um, I think Villa have to stay up. They have the momentum right now. Um, I think that I think that Villa will secure that last safe spot, if you will, in the Premier League. I agree, especially because, and I think it ben- it benefits Villa that West Ham got a draw today and are mathematically safe because you know even if Noble ha- or excuse me, even if David Moyes has 
West Ham coming out firing this weekend, there there has to be that thought in the back of their minds that this isn't make or break for them any longer. So I think that Villa, you know, going up against a team that that is completely safe, although Watford and Bournemouth are as well, um, I think that benefits Villa. So I agree. I think Villa stays up. I think you're right. Last point on West Ham, back your manager in the transfer window. Brought Moyes in. Asked him to do a job. He did a job. He kept you in the Premier League. I think they need to put money behind him. Yeah, I think that Moyes has, is way too overly criticized from his time at Manchester United. Um, and I, I think there still is, you know, there still is a good manager in there and, and a man who, who does who does have a connection to that club, who, who does love that club. So I, I think yep. that, yeah, I think that they could be an interesting team to watch. Um going into next season. Well, all right, from there, uh, let's let's take a quick break here, Adam, and and then we'll go into uh, a quick recap on the FA Cup matchups from the weekend, uh, as well as uh, our damn, damn Newcastle United before jumping into the championship and 10 and 90. So be back in one quick moment. All right, and we are back. So diving into the FA Cup semifinal results uh, from the weekend, the first match that was played, Arsenal, a 2-0 win against Manchester City. I don't think really anybody was predicting this one, Adam, but Arsenal played fantastic in that match. Yeah, they did. I think Aubameyang was clinical in that game as well, just the two chances that he had um, getting in behind. Finishing really well with one touch for the first goal. And then um, the second goal, just kind of the ball over the top. Great first touch. And then putting it through the legs of the overrated Ederson. <laughs> the overrated Ederson. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, I think that uh, Aubameyang, that first goal in particular, the ball passed around, I think it was 18 times between Arsenal players. And then a, a beautiful ball whipped in by Nicolas Pepe. And um, one of those finishes on that first goal that I think at first glance, you're just like, oh, he stuck a foot out and the ball went in. But it, it takes a lot to do what he did. And um, the timing of that run was beautiful. And as you said, second ball, uh, second goal again, timing that run. Um, and then, I mean, we, we got to give credit where credit is due, Adam. The two players who I think have been criticized the most for Arsenal this year, <laughs> Granite Xhaka and David Luiz, were probably probably the men of the match for that one besides Aubameyang. Well, when you're a top 10 transfer fee defender in the world, you would expect David Luiz to have a good game every now and again. But to your point, Xhaka's not been fantastic, but he's markedly improved, I think. Um, and he's, he's, he's getting more game time since Arteta has come in because clearly he fell foul <laughs> of the previous manager, um, did Mr. Xhaka. So. Yeah, I mean, it is crazy to think that like a good eight, nine months ago, you know, there was the incident of him throwing his jersey when getting subbed off, and it seemed like the writing was on the wall. It seemed like there was there was absolutely no chance that he was going to, you know, kind of come to an equilibrium with Arsenal. But but as you mentioned, things have gotten considerably better. And something I do want to give uh, credit to in terms of David Luiz actually not having to do with his performance was the interview he gave after that match. I don't know if you saw this, Adam, but David Luiz asked by um, a journalist for the BBC, uh, essentially the guy said, um, you know, uh, your defense was criticized quite heavily last time you played Manchester City. And David Luiz stopped him and said, no, 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 let's be honest. I was the one being criticized because I was the one who had the horrible match. And 
He's like, I recognize what I did wrong in that loss where he gave up a goal and a red card in a matter of minutes. He said, I looked at what I did and I realized I have to be better for this club. And, um, you know, people have their opinions about David Luiz being overrated, maybe being a bit of a kind of short-tempered guy, but a lot of respect was gained in my mind to, to hear him say something like that and, and take onus. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great accountability on his part and just just great honesty as well because you know he could he could shy away from that and hide from it didn't and credit where it's due you know to your point he put in a put in a really good game there so i mean on his on his day i think he's a top defender but he's just error prone that's the the bottom line with david louise isn't it Mm -hmm. yeah so arsenal getting their their track to wembley um come the beginning of august and they'll be facing off against london rival chelsea who had a a fairly comfortable 3-1 win against manchester united in the second semifinal um i think really the the one question from that match adam is what has happened to david de gea a man who has been on this slippery slope as of recently but this might have been this might have been rock bottom for him especially that second goal uh scored by uh, mason mount a shot that seemed so easy for de gea and slipping right past his hands and into the net um what what has come of the the former <laughs> best keeper in the world it's it's incredible. We've, we've talked about this before. He's not, I don't think he's even a top five goalkeeper in the Premier League right now. Um, David De Gea, you, you know I'm a big fan of this uh, this social media page. Soccer on Sunday, they write these satire articles. Um, they wrote an article saying that David De Gea died in 2018 and was replaced by a lookalike at that time. And really, if you think about it, the form since then, since you know, he was touted as the best goalkeeper in the world, it's just gotten worse and worse. And, and the question I'd ask you, Zach, is you have an elite potentially goalkeeper waiting in the wings in Dean Henderson, who's out on loan at Sheffield United. What do you do as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in this offseason? Do you stick with De Gea? Do you bring Hendo back and potentially bring him in? What's the, what's the right call here? It is truly the million-dollar question, and, and it could be considered the question that, that – um... That the the answer to that question will decide if they will make a title push next year or kind of be fighting for Champions League because the defense for Manchester United has settled down. Juan Bissaka, I think Lindelof has played quite well. The midfield has come together and the attack obviously is playing at, at full speed. So it, it really is this, you know, it, it's it's two roads that you can you can take. You either you either keep De Gea as your number one and and if that happens, I think Dean Henderson would ask out. I think that Dean Henderson knows his worth right now and is not willing to sit on the bench, especially after having this level of a breakout season. Or it's do you do you roll that dice? Do you do you take out the veteran keeper that is De Gea um, and and really go with the youth? So, oh man, I I don't know what I would do. I think that I I do think that it's a bit. I, I think I think that you stick with David De Gea. I think that just based on his career, um, just his career accomplishments, I I I don't know. There's still a good keeper there. I just I think you have to figure out what it is from preventing him that from preventing him from performing at the top level right now. Um, I, I had this thought the other day. Is he the next Joe Hart? I've heard that comparison thrown around, you know, Joe Hart right now, a man that is um, without a club and a man that had a pretty, pretty incredible fall from grace. I don't think you can say that at this moment, he's still potentially the Spanish number one, maybe just because Kepa, who is the the number two is the worst keeper in the Premier League right now. 
but um, I think that I think that De Gea still is on the top level, but I, I absolutely think he has to figure it out quickly. What would you do if you were Ole? I think it's it's tough. It, it, I think it ultimately comes down to do they need the money right now? If I was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and I didn't need the money right now, I might roll the dice and bring Henderson back and just let De Gea know that his position is not guaranteed. Start, you know, maybe not having the full consistency of having a number one there, maybe start testing the waters a little bit and playing Henderson in a couple games because that guy's got Premier League experience, a full season of it for Sheffield United. Yeah, but, he can but, step in on, on a diamond and do that. But so, would Henderson, but would, see, I think though, if Henderson is coming back to that club, I think he's doing it with the requirement that he is guaranteed the starting role. Like, I don't think Dean Henderson would accept a bit part at Manchester United. With all due respect, Manchester United are 10 times the level of club that Sheffield United are on the ground. Yeah, but I I agree entirely, but it's not just Sheffield United. Once the loan ends, any other team can buy Dean Henderson. In fact, Chelsea could get rid of Kepa and then go after Dean Henderson. Right. I I see what you're playing, or see what you're saying, I should say. But I, I think there's a part of Dean Henderson that has kind of been there for several years that wants to come through and prove that he can be the number one at Manchester United. Um, on the flip side of that, if you're looking to cash in, you're certainly not going to get a lot for David De Gea right now other than just by, by his name, right? Um, if you were looking to make money on it for, for Solskjaer, Henderson is the guy that you want to cash in on right now. So if he's looking to turn a, turn a profit on, on somebody, he's going to make that on Henderson at the moment. So it just depends, I guess, on, on what he's thinking. Does he have transfer funds that he can spend? They're pretty big spenders as it is. They really need to sell Henderson. If not, I'd love to see some sort of rotation happen next year for Menu. Yeah, we will see what happens. Definitely a big headache for Ole as we go into the summer months. So uh, as we said, it'll be a a London derby between Chelsea and Arsenal for the FA Cup final at the beginning of August. Um, A little bit rides on that. Arsenal can sneak into the the Europa League with a win and Chelsea. um, We'll see what happens this weekend if, if that game really means anything to their European ambitions. Second successive season, Zach, that we have seen a cup final contested between Chelsea and Arsenal. Last year was the Europa League. Hmm, interesting. A little bit of a little bit of an interesting pattern here. How many years do you think it would be feasible that we'd see that in the Champions League final? <laughs> uh, oof, not many. Uh, it's it's not going to happen. Um, okay, so <laughs> I, I think maybe we'll wrap up our discussion of teams in the Premier League with uh, our our Newcastle bit for the second to last game or match week of the season. So Newcastle, we have to say. absolutely. This is a, a Newcastle, uh, Newcastle podcast channel presented by coming home. Newcastle, uh, Newcastle, a nil, nil draw away at Brighton. Why has Brighton turned into our boogie team? I think that, and I saw a number of tweets about this. I, I saw people saying that they should not allow those two teams to play each other anymore because it's a nil, nil draw every single time. Yeah, it's not it's not historically been the most entertaining of games, that's for sure. It's tough right now, Zach. This is like this is really really bad. Ever since safety was secured from Newcastle, it's just almost like they're off on their summer holidays. Um it's it's been terrible. And the injuries as well have just been piling up left and right. Lascelles is out. Um St. Maximin doesn't look fit. Carroll's in and out of the team. It, it's just it's not pretty right now it's really really not pretty for newcastle i'm looking forward to the season being over to be honest and hopefully we can concentrate on some some other stuff 
So the question that I think goes around the injuries, and this is always a case of, you know, was it preventable or was it something that just kind of was it was bound to happen? Um, I like the injuries are the thing right now that frustrate me the most about Newcastle. We had that match against Brighton this week. Five of our six first team center backs were unavailable through injury. Federico Fernandez, the only center back on that team that was available. Um, and we saw Steve Bruce for no reason that I can understand employing a five man back line when he only had one center back available, when he was also playing Brighton, a team that is not at all known for their goal scoring prowess. So, and we've talked about this before, Adam, like, but I, it really baffles me that, you know, you have so many games in such a tight window, especially in the heat of summer. And yet Steve Bruce not doing any squad rotations, playing the same guys week in and week out. And like when, when I saw Alan St. Maximin go down with an injury in that match against Brighton, a match that a lot of people think thought he wasn't going to play. I was beyond furious because he is the, the most exciting, the most promising young player on our team. And like the fact that Bruce put him out there for a match that has zero meaning after he had an injury that was, he made him a doubt for that game like what what is he playing at i just i cannot understand what is going through the mind of steve bruce right now i i don't get it either to be honest and i i think you you bring up a great point about like the, the lack of squad rotation we've secured our safety play some youngsters for christ's sake <laughs> you've got kellen watts who's like a really exciting young prospect you've got tom allen who's um, come in, in in a cup game and he's put in a peach of a delivery for Joe Linton to score. Give these players some minutes. Why are you continuing to risk these players that are more important in the longer term for, to us uh, and starting them in meaningless matches where both teams are already safe? I just I just don't get it. It, it is baffling. And I had a bit of a kind of a discussion with, with Greg Troxel, so also part of our coming home Newcastle uh, family, about this before the Brighton match where, you know, Greg is a credit to him. He's probably the, the biggest uh, knowledge base of the Newcastle Academy of anyone I know. He really, really prides himself in following the youth players. And he was saying, you know, Kel Watts has, has not performed terribly well in the times that he's been promoted to a senior side. He's never played for the Newcastle senior team, but uh, went down the league two last year and was part of a relegation battle um, and, and really hasn't proved it. So, he, in Greg's mind, it was why would you put a guy out there and, and risk, you know, ruining his his confidence? Um, and, and I was saying, I, I mean, I, I suppose so. But again, you have nothing to lose in terms of our place in the table. And more so, I think that a, a, a good manager, a good manager and a manager that frankly is not Steve Bruce would be able to tell the lad, OK, we're, we're putting you out for this match, you know. It's, it's a level you've never played at, so you have to take with a grain of salt. You can't take any poor performance that you might have as this indictment of your character. And you need to, you know, you need to go out there and work hard. So in my mind, not a lot of room, you know, not a lot of room for risk, but then if the lad plays a great match there, it does wonders for his confidence. So, I mean, you have no center backs available except for Fernandez. You play Kraft and it seemed like Danny Rose at center back. And it was just like, and again, who knows what those injuries are going to be. Max, St. Maximin certainly won't be available for this weekend's game against Liverpool. And if he's kept out any farther and deals with a, a, a long-term injury, I just think like all of the blame for that has to fall on Steve Bruce. It really does. Mm -hmm. I think about a, man, a top-class manager like Jurgen Klopp. And, you know, the season for them was over. They won the title. And then what's the first thing he does? 
he brings in Nico Williams, and he has him starting games at left back and at right back. He keeps Alexander Arnold out for one game. He keeps Andy Robertson out of the next game, and he's come on and he's he, he's getting gaining all these plaudits. And you know maybe Cal Watts isn't the same quality and caliber of player as Nico Williams in terms of in terms of his like overall quality, but at the same time he's being given an opportunity in the most low risk environment possible at the top level. Why would you not want your young players to do that? I, uh, and Muto is another great example. What the hell are we doing? Muto's sitting there. He's like, I'm going to give Muto a chance in, in preseason. What if we're going to give him a chance right now? Come on. Are you kidding me? Un- unbelievable. He just He's making poor decisions. And when you try and give Bruce credit, I think this is one of the, the, my harshest criticisms of Bruce, the consistency is just so hard because we came out from COVID flying. We came out and we were banging in goals for fun. We looked great. He got a manager of the month award. And now he's the same boring garbage manager that he was, you know, right after after the new year. And just so frustrating to watch. And it's it's terrible football, Zach. It's terrible. Yeah, I think that I think that Muto is the prime example. Did you know that Yoshinori Muto is the second highest paid player at Newcastle right now? <laughs> That's barmy, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely correct. Right behind John Joe Shelby, and uh, it's again, wow. yeah, it's you know you have this guy on a permanent deal. Why are you not running him out there? Um, and then I think this is kind of we we can wrap up Newcastle after this, but. Um, when you look at the three players we had on loan the second half of the season, and a lot of questions are going around of, you know, should Newcastle go to try to keep any of those players, the three being Danny Rose uh, on loan from Spurs, Valentino Lazaro on loan from Inter Milan, and then Nabil Bentaleb on loan from Schalke. Um, I, I genuinely think it's difficult to even make that determination because we've seen none of Valentino Lazaro for no reason. So speaking of that same point you just made, Adam, Every time Lazaro's come on, he's looked very exciting, and I have zero understanding as to why he's not getting any time on the pitch. I think that Danny Rose is a good squad player, but he's not hes not who you're looking to have at your starting left back next season, in my opinion. And then Bentaleb, I, I don't think he would serve any use at Newcastle, to be honest with you. No, I don't think Bentaleb has the quality. Of the three, I think Lazaro is the most exciting prospect to me. But if you're a Lazaro, why would you stay? You want out. Yeah, there's there's no like you set yourself up for absolute failure if you're if you're Newcastle and if you're Steve Bruce, because there's no reason for him to want to stay at this club. Put yourself in Inter Milan's shoes, loaning him out. You loan him out because you want him to go and get experience, and he's not getting it. Like how frustrating is a parent club is that? You're hope you're they're the club that are signing him are basically paying this huge fee and then they're not using him seems like an absolute waste to me Mm -hmm. yeah so that's another point inter milan might have no incentive to sell to us because we've just you know wasted six months of their players career so yeah a lot of frustrations at newcastle and we're, we're gonna finish the season on the weekend i think adam and i might come for a special uh non bi-weekly podcast to to wrap up uh what you know what the season has shown for us but Definitely leaving a sour taste in our mouth as we approach the end of the year for for Newcastle and one that actually for once has nothing to do with the takeover. No, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, one week to go, Zach. Sunday's the big day. It's going to be uh, it's a lot of interesting subplots in there. Unfortunately, Newcastle won't be one of them. Question is, is do we finish 13th or do 
Crystal Palace pip us for 13th and we finish in 14th. The the two and a half dollar question. Uh, <laughs> the excitement of a Newcastle supporter. <laughs> yeah, t- two managers who are not looking very positive for, for long-term job security. <laughs> nope. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. We will, you know, we'll obviously recap in much more detail the entire Newcastle season. Um, Adam, shall we dive into the championship? I know you were chomping at the bit. I'm very excited. It. Speaking of long-term job security, Marcelo Bielsa might might be on for a 15-year contract here for Leeds. He's, he's, he's pretty much a god up there in Yorkshire. Yeah, I, so yeah, so what we'll do here is we'll kind of run down the championship in a similar way to, to how we ran through the Premier League table. Obviously, slightly different um, as the promotional format for the the championship is um, kind of uh, unique and there is no promotion from the Premier League. So starting at Leeds, obviously the the champions of the championship, this final match for them today uh, meant nothing. Um, They they had already sealed the the title in the second to last match of the season, but really just a really, really fantastic and admirable season, Uh, you know, after a huge collapse that they had last year being up there in the title race and then falling all the way out of it um, and obviously not getting promoted to the Premier League. Leeds will be back in the top flight for the first time in 16 years. And yeah, I'd say that Marcelo Bielsa through Spygate and through this performance for his team, he's one of the hottest names in English football right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just really, really excited to see Leeds back. You mentioned first time in the Premier League in 16 years. That's barmy to think about that. 2004, they were relegated. And, you know, they, they, they collapsed last season. They, they absolutely collapsed last season. And it was sad to see because you thought that that was going to be the moment for them. And credit to them, I think, that they showed true grit to come through. 28 wins on the season out of 46 games. That's That's certainly the form of champions right there. I've been very impressed with them. The brand of football that they play, they play really good attacking football, but they have a great defense at the core as well. So um, somebody who I think is going to be uh, really exciting next year is Patrick Bamford. Um, He's scored 16 goals for for Leeds this season. And then another player, Tyler Roberts, um, who's a a Welsh international player who I think is banked in goals as well for them there. They're going to be a good, fun team to watch. Um, It's interesting because you think back to the, the brand of football that they play. It's very similar to the football that Norwich played last year. Question is now, will we see investment from Leeds this summer, unlike Norwich, who who failed to spend last year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is obviously the big the big question that comes with the newly promoted side is can they keep up with that momentum? And yeah, I think that Bielsa has the backing of all the Leeds fans and all the Leeds, you know, front office. He really has made that job his own and, and kind of made himself the identity for that club, despite the fact that, that he is a fairly soft-spoken manager, which is kind of interesting considering the, the brand of football that they play. Um, but again, credit to Leeds. Congratulations back in the Premier League. Um, I know that Leeds, you know, a lot of people in England, and maybe you could speak to this, Adam, uh, are you know, know the reputation that Leeds fans carry with them. So I know it'll be, uh, if if fans are at matches next season, it'll be a lot of fun away days uh, for the Leeds supporters because do they travel in numbers? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ra- random fact, Leeds um, Stadium, Allen Road, is actually one of four Premier League stadiums that I have been to and seen a game at. Um, oh. Great, great environment, great atmosphere there. Really, really enjoyed it. There's a statue of Billy Bremner right outside the stadium, who's That's a cool. Leeds legend. 
from from back in the day, and they were talking about ripping that statue down and replacing it with one of Marcelo Bielsa. So that's how that's how much he's loved up there. Oh man, and and it, you know, just kind of a fortuitous thing, and uh, also nice to see Leeds go up uh, following the the passing of Jack Charlton, who is a Leeds mm-hmm. legend uh, and an England legend, Absolutely. and a Republic of uh, Ireland legend as well. Funnily enough, uh, for his time managing um, that national team. So yeah, we're all part Jack. of Jackie's army, Zach. We're all part of Jackie's army. There you go. Spoken like a true Welshman. Uh, <laughs> so or moving, Irishman there. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I know, but but you're not Irish. Um, uh, so moving on from Leeds, West Brom securing that second automatic promotion spot. Um, so they actually drew uh, 2-2 today against QPR, dropping those points and putting them at danger just based at uh, the, the tight top of the table. Um, however, they won promotion on the back of Brentford, also dropping points in a 2-1 loss against Barnsley, so West Brom, you know, a, a team that, that just dropped last year, they, they're getting right back up and getting back in the Premier League. Yep, that's absolutely right. Um, I'll be honest with you, West Brom were probably the least exciting of the teams in and around the automatic promotions places to, to go back up for me. Um, but that said, they've, they've been down in the championship for two seasons. They finished fourth last year, lost in the playoffs. Second this year. It's a tough division, the championship. That's pretty good consistency from them in terms of their finishing positions. And I would say some, something I'm excited to see, a good, a good manager in my eyes who, who probably didn't get a fair crack of the whip at West Ham is Slavin Bilic back in the Premier League. I could not agree more. Yeah, I, with all those points, I think that West Brom is probably the, the club in English football I'm most neutral about. Like I, I could not care less about the, the, the life of West Brom, the baggies, but uh, Bilic, I agree. I think that he was one of, you know, a, a series of three or four managers, Moyes being another one that kind of was given not, not a long enough rope at West Ham. So excited to see him back in the Prem. Uh, but yeah, yeah Le- Leeds and West Brom, the, the two automatics. And may see a uh, Villa West Brom Birmingham Derby, Midl- East Midlands Derby there. So it should be uh, pretty pretty interesting. All right. So automatic promotion tied up Leeds and West Brom as you mentioned, pivoting into the playoffs. Huge collapse from Brentford. I think you touched on that briefly. Um, we have them who will be playing against Swansea, who finished in sixth place in the league. And we have Fulham, who finished in fourth place, playing against Cardiff. So lots of interesting subplots. I know I know you wanted to take a moment to talk about Nottingham Forest and uh, them dropping out of the playoff places today, Zach. Yeah, well, so to touch on those those playoff games first before I do dig into Nottingham Forest, um, interesting that that Swansea-Brentford game on Sunday uh, and then uh, Cardiff following the next day against Fulham. So immediate jump into the, the playoff. As you said, Brentford, you know, the surprise performer, the kind of Cinderella team in the championship this year. Uh, yeah, shocking to see them lose on the final day to Barnsley, who is in uh, second to last, second to bottom of the table. And if Brentford had won that game with the result in the West Brom game, they would have gotten the automatic promotion. So uh, They lost consecutive games on top of that, Zach, as well. They, there they, were seven, seven wins in a row, and they lost their last two. It was all in their own hands. That's amazing. And this does speak to the beauty of the all the matches on the final day being at the same time. That is like... It, that's the greatest nuance in sports is whoever came up with that idea at just like absolute hats off. Cause all the drama is there. Um, 
but yeah, Brentford, you know, really you know, is going to have to rebound from from a bit of a choke there. Um, Fulham was pretty much solidified as a playoff team. Uh, Cardiff uh, and Swansea, though, a huge, huge leap. Cardiff with a 3-0 win against Hull today, um, and then Swansea with a 4-1 win against Reading. But the only reason that either of those results matter is the absolute collapse, you know, a bigger collapse than a demolished skyscraper that we saw from (laughs) Nottingham Forest. So to give you the rundown there, Nottingham Forest going into the final day, we're in fifth. So, uh, you know, the, the higher of the two bottom playoff positions, uh, they were on 70 points, uh, followed by Cardiff and Swansea on 70 and 67 points respectively. But the more important part there was that Nottingham Forest had a goal differential that was four goals better than Cardiff and five goals better than Swansea. So it was pretty much a miracle for Swansea to make it in uh, and for Cardiff to, to jump. Nottingham Forest was also going to be an interesting one. And Nottingham Forest, to see them lose 4-1 on the final day to Stoke, a, a team in the middle of the pack who had nothing to play for, and then concurrently watch Cardiff win 3-0 and Swansea to overcome a five-goal differential to leapfrog Nottingham Forest and knock them out of the playoff positions, that has to be one of the biggest final day choke jobs in football history. It's really, really bad. And the, and the worst part about it, and I know we've talked about the home and away advantage, but Forest were at home and lost 4-1. Swansea won 4-1 away from home as well. So just just to add more salt to the wound, like they, <laughs> they couldn't get the job done in their own stadium. It's just such a sad, sad moment for a, a team with such amazing history like Nottingham Forest, former European Cup winners. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned before, Barnsley, Barnsley, the the team that that beat Brentford today, uh, were the team that beat Nottingham Forest last week. So credit to Barnsley, as we'll mention in a moment, uh, getting two wins on the final two days to actually make them safe. But Nottingham Forest, all they had to do was win one of their last two matches, and they couldn't do it. And it's just, whew, talk about capitulations. Like I said, Zach, it's a, it's a tough league, right? It's a hard league to get out of, and Forest have been down there for a long, long time now. But pivoting back to the, the playoff games you mentioned this, this weekend, I'm particularly, obviously, really excited because there are two teams of the four that are Welsh teams in the playoffs this season. And we have the mouthwatering proposition of a one-off game between Swansea and Cardiff if they were to win their games this weekend in a one-off match. South Wales derby <laughs> to see who goes into the Premier League could not be better as a Welsh football fan if that happens. It's 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 huge for the Welsh Football League, getting a lot of attention to Carmarthen uh, and other storied clubs. So, fifty <laughs> percent chance a Welsh team is back in the Premier League next season, Zach. So that's a fact. Yes, that is true. Yeah, I crunched the numbers, and that is correct. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I would love to see. I would love to see Swansea in particular. I have a lot of good memories of watching Swansea play, and a lot of good players have have come through Swansea, who are now at, at Premier League clubs. So um, yeah, it'd be great to see them get back into the Premier League. Uh, yeah. Would you say that I like? What is your what is your loyalty as a Welshman yourself? Would you rather have Cardiff or Swansea back? Um, I'm not a fan per se of either team, but I went to college in Swansea. So I'm a graduate of Swansea University. So I think that my allegiance would, would probably lie with the Swans. And I'm actually a really big fan of their current manager. 
um, Steve Cooper. I don't know how much you know about him, but he was the under-17 manager for England. He's, he's Welsh, but he was the England under-17 manager um, when Gareth Southgate was managing the under-21. So he's actually managed players in that, in that team, like the Phil Foden's of the world, the Jaden Sancho's of the world. A lot of like Rian Brewster is an up-and-coming talent for Liverpool. He's the reason that he came to Swansea. Um, Steve Cooper and that relationship he had, he worked with Liverpool's academy prior to being at England under 17. So um, a really top class up and coming manager. Swansea have done a great job with the two appointments that they've made since they were relegated from the Premier League. Graham Potter was the first one. He was snapped up by Brighton. So um, be great to see Steve Cooper take the Swans into the Premier League and, and, and be a great challenge for him, I think, to, to cut his teeth at 40 years old in the Premier League. Mm, oh, up the swans in, in that case. Uh, so they, as we said, the playoff games coming starting this weekend will be over by a week from today. Uh, but then going into the the relegation uh, battle that that I guess now was um, a crazy, crazy final day, wasn't it? In the bottom three. This was absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. So uh, why don't you set the scene for how the bottom three stood going into the final game? Yeah, certainly. So going into the final day, uh, Hull City all but dead. They technically, you know, were only three points behind um, 21st place Charlton. So as you'll remember, the championship has 24 teams. It's 22 through 24 that go down. Um, so Hull City uh, was on, you know, three points behind Charlton, but with a uh, far, far inferior goal differential. So dead and buried. Uh, but that's where it gets interesting. Uh, next up was Barnsley coming off that uh, win against Nottingham Forest. They were on 46 points, Luton on 48, and then Charlton on 48 as well with a far superior goal differential. But everything was turned upside down by the events of today. Yeah, absolutely. It was <laughs> it was just a crazy end to the season. So when you think about Luton and Barnsley going into that game, um, that you wouldn't have anticipated that both of those teams would survive. And to do it in such a dramatic fashion, I think, was 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 fascinating to watch. There's one subplot here that, that we haven't mentioned, and that's Wigan Athletic. Wigan Athletic, who spanked Hull 8-0 a few weeks ago after being 7-0 up at halftime, um, and, and, and having for all intents and purposes, a pretty decent team, Wigan Athletic. Unfortunately, they went into administration earlier this season, and it was decided upon very recently that there would be a 12-point penalty enforced for that team. Now, going into today's games, Wigan were, I believe, 11 points clear of safety in the bottom in the bottom three. Um, and, and basically what happened is, and the rule was, per the Football League, that if Wigan... If you, after deducting those points after today's game, if they were to the minus twelve points were to put Wigan in the bottom three, then they would be relegated. Had they have survived and have beaten Fulham today and stayed out of the bottom three after a potential twelve point deduction, they would have retained their spot in the league, fourteenth, fifteenth, whatever it may be, and they would have started the subsequent season. Um, so the 21, uh, 20, yeah, twenty twenty one season, they would have started on negative twelve points. So. I think it's pretty... Now, now, they went into administration. I'm not making excuses for them, but personally, Zach, I don't know if you agree with this, I think it's pretty harsh. The rule really is so strict for them regardless of, of how, they're, how, how it ends up for them. 
it is tough because you know going to administration essentially going bankrupt is a pretty damning thing to happen to a to a football club we saw that you know we've saw what's happened to bury since that happened a few years ago and the the complete kind of disintegration of that club but um i don't know if it's too harsh i think that you know it, it's tough for me to kind of come up with an alternative i would say um but what made that subplot so interesting is that as adam said wigan drawing 1-1 against fulham uh and due to that 12 point deduction and also the surprising victories from both luton and barnsley wigan dropped from 12th to 23rd in the table due to that deduction and will be relegated along with hull and charlton so charlton as well was not in the relegation zone going into this week but early going into this match but a 4-0 loss against the champions leads and again luton and barnsley winning so two teams uh luton and barnsley jumping out of the relegation zone and the three teams going down charlton wigan and hull yeah very sad to see and just a last point on wigan there this is a team that in 2012-2013 won the fa cup this is a team, a team that has now gone in eight years from winning the FA Cup and being a Premier League team for several seasons to going into administration and being down in the depths of League One. It's very sad to see that happen to, to teams that have been so successfully are historically successful like, like a Wigan has. It, it, it is sad. And interestingly enough, when Wigan won the FA Cup, as you will remember so infamously, they also got relegated that season. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, a team that has been kind of, I guess you could say, circling the drain for some time now. And uh, Roberto Martinez, who was the manager when they won that FA Cup, um, probably mm-hmm. the best manager that they've had in the last 15 years or so, obviously now. Um, they hit much higher heights as being the manager of the the Belgium national team, but uh, I, I think that it is you know obviously the thoughts thoughts go out to Wigan supporters. They didn't you know they didn't ask for or deserve any of this, but um, I, I do want to give my my Zach slap of approval to to Barnsley to win two matches on the final two days and jump out of the relegation zone is is pretty pretty incredible, especially due to the fact that their last match was against Brentford, who were fighting for automatic promotion, and they beat them. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, Barnsley. I might become a closet Barnsley fan now. I like them. <laughs> that's, that's quite the finish. You're giving yours to Barnsley. I'm going to give my Adam seal of approval to Luton Town as well. Six points adrift following the COVID break to come back the way they have, and that was at the bottom of the table, six points adrift at the bottom of the table, um, to come back in the way that they have, and survive when their last two games Kazenga Lualawa might be one of my favorite names and he's players on, of all he, time he's on Luton former magpie Kazenga Lualawa yeah, yeah he scored the winner against Hull last weekend 1-0 win at Hull that. yeah beautiful yeah. goal too if you get a chance to see it wow former magpie so, watch of the week Kazenga Lualawa Barnsley and Luton with the two shouts of the week who would have thought it here on the false ninth oh, yeah that that's brilliant um yeah Big, big credit to Luton as well. I mean, I saw a video actually of the Barnsley side celebrating after this match and the, the commentator uh, on on BBC was saying like this, this 
should probably look like a a uh, just got promoted or just won the title celebration but these are these are men who have scraped out a 20 21st place finish in the premier league so or in the uh, in the championship so you know it's it's a, it's a wild division i wish that the championship was showed more in america because i think the drama uh, in that in that division is is pretty astounding yeah i agree it's a it's a fun league to watch and it's so competitive you look at the the gap between the top teams and the bottom teams from a point standpoint it's uh it's it's not as big as you see in the premier league right with liverpool with 90 94 points do you, do you want to know a pretty crazy fact that I heard? Um, I believe it was from when I was listening to the Guardians Football Weekly podcast. Uh, it was that when we came back from the break, from the lockdown, uh, the championship table was so tight that there was, it is going to sound weird, but not one team in the entirety of the 24 teams in the championship was guaranteed to be in the championship next season. And what I mean by that is every single team coming out of the break either was had the potential of getting relegated or getting promoted based on the, the points that it, people wow. had. So just, That's again, crazy stat. speaks to, yeah, speaks to how tight that league was this year. Yep, absolutely. So, um, all right, well, that wraps our little section here on the, uh, on the championship. It's been fun, Zach. It has indeed. Well, do you want to then, then close her out as we normally do? Yeah, absolutely. Let's roll into 10 and 90. Um, do you mind if I go first this week? I do not mind at all. Go right ahead, Adam. What is your, what is your theme? I feel like you have a theme in place. I do have a theme in place, and it flows very nicely from our last section. My theme is the championship champions, Leeds United. All right, let's do it. Let's see if I'm as much of a closet Leeds fan as I am as of a closet Villa fan. <laughs> and I know we've got league tables in front of us here, so I want to ask for a little bit of honesty from you and ask you for this first question, not to cheat and look at the league table, please. Fair enough. True or false, Leeds had the best goals for record and the best goals against record in the championship this season. False. Uh, Brentford scored the most goals, didn't they? That is absolutely correct. Brentford scored 80. Leeds and West Brom both scored 77. But Leeds did have the best defense in the league with only 35 goals conceded. All right, one for one. Mm -hmm. Leeds manager Marcelo Bielsa hails from which country? Uh, Is he Argentinian? He is Argentinian. Very good, sir. Let's go, Closet Leeds fan. (laughs) Two for two. There you go. He's buying his white jersey as we speak. All right. Leeds record signing in 2000 is also, to this day, their record sale in 2002. So they paid the most money for him and sold the same player for the most money. And that record still stands to this day from 18 years ago. Who's the player? Hmm. The early 2000s questions are the ones that stumped me. Um, you definitely have heard this player. Name me one other club that he has played for. Oh, that's tough. Um, okay. Manchester United. Um, Played for Manchester United in the early early two thousands. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'll give you a clue. 
Okay, yeah. We talked about we his name came up earlier in the podcast. It definitely not came, for Manchester United. It definitely came up when we were talking about West Ham's academy. Was it was it Rio Ferdinand? Is correct. Well <laughs> done. Sir. Wow, yeah, really, really <laughs> tiptoed my way to that answer. Yeah, Rio Ferdinand signed in two thousand from West Ham for eighteen million by Leeds. Two years later they shipped him off to Manchester United for thirty two point five million. It's, yep. it's crazy. It, it does touch upon, you know, the, the finances of not being in the Premier League that they're that 20 years later, their highest uh, highest price purchase was 18 is still 18 million. Yep, exactly. Who is then for number question four? See if you can keep your perfect run going. Who is Leeds United current number nine and somebody who drew a decent amount of criticism from a former Leeds manager, David O'Leary, this week in saying that he doesn't think he is the right striker to lead to lead Leeds into the Premier League. Oh, well, I believe you mentioned it before, and I, I, I think I already knew this. Isn't it Patrick Bamford? Four for four. Zach, this might, this might be your greatest ever showing. Maybe. I've been practicing my Welsh, too, so let's get to question number six. Oh, we're on question number five yet. You've got you four for four so far, so one more to go. All right. Um, this one is definitely going to be close to your heart because there's a Newcastle twist in here. Mm. Name three players in your lifetime that have played for both Leeds and Newcastle in their careers. Oh, I think this is where this is where I might I might stumble. Um, Newcastle I'll, and I'll tell I'll tell you the the obvious ones that I've written down here. I have a list of nine players, so you have to get a third of these players. All right, now you're putting the pressure on. Um, who has played for Leeds after playing for Newcastle? Not or, necessarily or, after yeah, playing or, for Newcastle. Just yeah, yeah sure. Or, or before playing for Newcastle. Um, mm-hmm. Did... Man, this, uh, this is where I'm going to draw blanks. Um, did either of the Amiobi brothers play for Leeds? They did. Uh, did... Did Barton play for Leeds? Or Kevin no. Nolan? My favorite Newcastle player of all time. Okay, so Gary Speed played for Leeds. Yes, he did. What about like Andy Cole? Did he play for Leeds? He did not. Okay. Newcastle and Manchester United. Um, somebody, somebody who I mentioned, can't remember if it was our last podcast or a podcast before. Um, unusual player that you would get on the back of a Newcastle jersey. I think that was one of your ten and ninety questions for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's it's a bit late for me. So why don't you start leading me to these answers? Why don't you start <laughs> giving me initials or something like that, and, and I can. John do John Woodgate played for Leeds and okay. Newcastle. Um. Uh, okay, so uh, I think this one should probably be the the most obvious of the remaining ones. Um, a title winner with Liverpool this season. Liverpool this season. They played for Has previously played for Newcastle and Leeds. And James Milner. James Milner is correct. Okay. Um, other players I could have you could have gotten there. Alan Smith. Okay, I wouldn't have got that. Robbie Elliott. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, somebody who actually his team lost and got relegated at Leeds today. Charlton manager Lee Bowyer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, David Batty. Okay. Mark Viduka. Ah, okay. And the last one. Last but not least, Andy O'Brien. Okay. 
Okay. I would have never, ever gotten the majority of those. <laughs> Do you think there's three there that you could have got, though? Uh, maybe. maybe. Yeah, it might have been. Okay. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Uh, that was good. Yep. All right. So last question for you. Pronounce this Welsh word, Zach. I want to know how good your Welsh is. The word, and I'll spell it for you, is C-W-N-I-N-G-E-N. 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 Yes. Quinnigan. It's close. Okay. It's Kuningen. Okay. All right. I'll take that. Yep. Any idea what Kuningen might mean? Um, no. It's a rabbit, Zach. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll add that to my list of vocab words. Going with the nature route this time. This time. Maybe you've okay. got like a interesting theme for me here in your 10 and 90. Um, uh, so I had a suspicion that we might overlap a little bit because I am doing championship questions, but uh, I'm doing just more general championship questions that are all uh, statistical categories from this year. All right. Mm -hmm. And there is, actually, there, there is actually some overlap in the sense of former Newcastle players. So that's that's okay. where we, we see some commonalities here. Um, okay. okay. So uh, question number one, I'll start you off with an easy one here, Adam. Uh, who was the top scorer this season in the championship? Oh, I know this one. Alexander Mitrovic. Mm -hmm. Do you know how 20... many goals he scored? 26 goals. I actually looked it up when I was looking up how many Patrick Bamford scored. There it is. Yeah, pa Patrick okay. Bamford did not have... Yeah, I mean, he had an all right season, but nothing yep. nothing special. Um, uh, okay, so very good. Question number one, you got that one right. Question number two here. Uh, of the top 10 scorers in the, uh, in the championship who are not named uh, Alexander Mitrovic, there's one mm -hmm. other that um, was a former Newcastle player. Do you know who that is? I would guess... He scored today. It's Adam Armstrong for Blackburn. Very good. Adam Armstrong tied for eighth in the top scoring charts. He had 15 goals on the season and was named Blackburn's player of the season. So congratulations. Shouldn't let him go, Zach. Shouldn't Should let not him go. have let him go. Yeah, he never never Premier League quality, but that's okay. Um, okay, question number three in a similar vein. Uh, what former Newcastle player was in the top 10 for assists this year in the championship? Ooh, that's a good question. Tell me if you want a clue. I'll, I think I'll definitely take a clue on this one. Go for it. Okay. He is a member of the team that I lambasted the most during the podcast today. <laughs> uh, wait. See, I want... Jack Colbeck didn't go on loan to Forest again, did he? No, he was still on okay. Newcastle. Yeah, that's right. He's also, he's also one of my favorite players in Newcastle history because he has this might give it away. He has probably the best name in Newcastle history. No, you have to tell me. All right. That's Sammy, awesome. Sammy Amiobi. Oh, of course. I did not realize he played for Forrest. No, I don't think, I, I don't think I realized that either. Sammy so, Amiobi no, tied question. for, tied for six in the championship with eight assists this season. Sammy Amiobi is still only 28 years old, which is kind of wild. Crazy to think, right? Sholin, Sammy, Newcastle legends. Oh, absolutely. Um, okay, question number four. Adam, which team in the championship uh, had the lowest average attendance in the league this year? 
with an average attendance of 10,048 people per match. Luton's ground, Kenilworth Road, is small. I'm going to go with Luton. Doing great today. Four out of three out of four so far. That was, that was very go. impressive. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I even gave you the name of the stadium there. Yeah, Kennel Road. Okay. The Kennel. The Kennel. Okay, Adam, this one, I, I don't know why I thought of this question, but this, this is a weird one here. So, um, interestingly enough, in the championship, when looking at every single player who played in the championship this year, breaking them down by their respective nationalities, um, the top five nationalities that are most frequently or that, that were most heavily represented, as no surprise mm -hmm. to you, were England first with 409 players, um, mm -hmm. and then going Ireland, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. So so you have all the all the nations that are that are the part of the, the British islands here. Yep. Adam, I will ask you this. Which non-British country tied with Northern Ireland for the fifth most highest represented country in the championship this season? <laughs> what an outrageous question. Uh, well, I'm going to throw it out here purely because of geography. It's the closest country to the UK. I'll go with France. Close. Good thinking, because I was going to give you a similar clue to that. The answer is Spain. Okay, makes sense. Yep, so there are 16 Spanish players who played in the championship this year, the same amount of players as the Northern Irish contingent in the league. Yep, that makes sense. Yep. Good questions. I like it, Zach. We both had good showings this week. Not bad. We both had fantastic showings. We both had one question that not that neither of us were ever going to get cracked, so that was good. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Good stuff. I like it. Well... Episode 48 in the books, my friend. We're coming up soon on episode 50. Might have to plan some, some fun stuff for it. Yeah, I think so. We do have some fun plans in the works for episode 50. Also for our end of year wrap up, uh, we might have a special guest on the pod for that one. And as I said, might be doing that um, a, a bit sooner than, than two weeks from now. But we will see. We never really know. This started as a semi-weekly footballing discussion is now a bi-weekly footballing discussion. So maybe we'll maybe we'll even cut that in half. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, looking forward to it. It's going to be a fantastic Super Sunday, as they call it. Final Love day it. of the season. Lots to play for still. Um, going, to be, going to be excited and tuning in. Lots of money to gamble on needless football over under goal totals. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we just need Pulisic not to score on the final day. And then I will be banking that money from Zach. He's on nine right now. The bet so, was 10 or more. So good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until next time. Footy. Footy. That was a long one.